We're looking for two oil boys who can grease us up before each competition. You do the thing you're scared shitless of, and you get the courage after you do it. That's the way it works. That's the dumbass way to work. It should be the other way around. You'll have to excuse my friend. The town is back that way. You should make a radical change in your lifestyle. I mean, the core of man's spirit comes from new experiences. That's the way it works. Don't worry, we'll catch our break too. Just gotta keep our eyes open. It saves me like 30 seconds. Well, that's what we're here for. <laughs> All right, well, welcome to episode 16, sweet 16 of the Looks Like We're Lost podcast. Do not adjust your audio. This is not Dustin Verdazel. This is your normally co-host, Tommy Cooksey. And joining me is a man who believes that it's best to deliver his philosophical musings with no shirt on. It's Dustin Verdazel. Mm. Well, you got to give the people what they want. <laughs> you know, you don't, you don't leave the Ferrari in the garage. That's what I always say. And there's something, um, I think, because I definitely do some of my best thinking when I'm not thinking, like the shower after a, a run or a hard workout and I'm driving home and I'm listening to a podcast. I find that like, it's almost like my brain is more spongy after a workout and I'm just like absorbing all the information better. I don't know. So this is 100% what it is, is I'm almost always taking in information. I'm either watching the kids, I'm at work, I'm dealing with a loud dog. Yep. Uh, Working out is one of the few times where I'm just like listening to music and doing my thing. It is like a release of the brain and all that intake becomes a thought and in the effort to be efficient, like I just shoot the video of whatever is on my mind and then that's what hits Instagram like a few days later whenever I do my one weekly post. I'm I've got a I, system. You know, I, ad- I admire the consistency. I Thank absolutely you. admire the consistency. So we'll kind of just dive right in. So f- today we'll bring in our fifth or sixth guest, but definitely only our second female guest. Very happy to have and Hannah, I'm, I've known you and Kelsey for a long time. I'm absolutely going to butcher the last name, but Hannah Ostoy? Yep. Ostoy. Nailed it. First time. Ostoy. Look at me. Look at me. Nice. A literary genius. A pro. So a little background, um, as you guys know from email, you're, you're both branches of the Tommy Cooksey mentor tree <laughs> in various, I feel so unqualified to say that. Uh, but at some point along the way, I had just been in a position for maybe two or three months longer than you guys were. And they were like, just go talk to this guy, figure it out. <laughs> so, well, so Hannah, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me guys. Yeah. Tommy, so, I would just like to say real quick, um, yeah. if you judge a tree by its blooms, it's a fantastic mentoring tree. <laughs> <laughs> so, and you know, it's Very really good. funny. You Dusty shared a LinkedIn post of mine about something about being a branch on the Cooksey mentor tree. It always gets light or something like that. And I'm sitting here drinking this Yogi coffee, just, or excuse me, tea tonight. And the little, you know, has little tags on it. 
The tag is spread the light, be the lighthouse. Couldn't be more fitting for our conversation. And connections are so, everywhere. Yeah. Yep. So, so I've known Hannah probably almost eight years now. Um, and uh, it's, you know, it was initially just kind of a work mentorship and then come to find out me and her husband ended up having almost everything in common. And so we've become good friends and, you know, Hannah and I have stayed good friends and, uh, you know, Hannah, we always, you know, one of the things we always like to ask folks when they first join, because it's such a, a broad question is what do you do? And maybe that's a good place to start with you. Cause I know you have a lot of different interests and a lot of different things you're passionate about. And so what do you do? Yeah. Thanks guys. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I, you know, that question is really hard. I, I think for me, it's what am I doing now? Because what I'm doing now probably is going to be different what I'm doing later, but right now, you know, working in a tech company, enjoying that. Um, my husband and I have a short-term rental business and we have houses that we work with and put on Airbnb. Um, Bull Terrier mom, no kids, but have a nice little um, toddler of a dog that stays with me all the time. Um, and I'm a functional nutritionist and super curious. I love learning about almost anything. Um, love having one-on-one conversations with people. So I'm really enjoying um, being with you guys tonight and looking forward to our conversation tonight. Yeah, don't sell yourself short with, with no kids. Dogs are monsters. That's <laughs> a fact. Yeah. Well, I, in May, six months in, I realized that, you know what, I'm going to have a toddler for 12 years. Like, they won't grow out of this. He will not grow out of it. Yeah. The good thing is they sleep a lot. Sure. I, don't, I don't know about y'all's. Y'all's is, is uh, terriers are definitely higher, higher energy. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. So what's uh. I don't want to skate to the puck too quickly, but I am intrigued by the functional aspect of functional nutritionist. And how is that different than just a nutritionist? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think that term is coming up more frequently. You'll see uh, doctors actually are, um, it's a certification program that where there'll be functional medical doctors. And I think really, it's really an umbrella term to mean that the practitioner, so whether it's a medical doctor, a nutritionist, or whomever is using that as a as an indicator, as they're is really looking at the holistic perspective of the body and what they're working with. Um, our typical system here in the U.S. is more has takes more of a reductionist viewpoint, meaning um, we have a lot of specialists. They work on one thing, but they don't really think about how the body works together as a whole system or as a, a system sort of the biology view. And someone that it comes from a functional approach is going to think about uh, not just about what's some, some symptom that you're having, but then what could be causing that? What's the root cause? So they're really thinking about the bigger picture. Man, if that isn't just a metaphor for like everything in the country. It pretty much is. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, guys, you got to see the bigger picture. I, it, it is, you're right, Hannah, that this functional aspect to stuff is, it's almost coming full circle. It's, it's, it's almost like Western medicine. It's like the blending of Western medicine and Eastern medicine. Um, and it, it's so, it's sort of like, um, so I'm reading the book, um, body keeps the score 
don't know if you've read that before. Really good book. Brilliant. Super dense. And I'm really annoyed that the pages go all the way to the bottom. Like, <laughs> like there's not enough. Like, it, it, it's it's a lot. Um, they didn't but, pull the old wide margins trick. <laughs> I mean, w- when I say all the way to the bottom, you couldn't fit another letter at the bottom of the page. But he, but he talks about he talks about how like once they introduced medication into the therapy field, they were just like throwing Zoloff and Prozac at everybody. PTSD, Zoloff. Yeah. Uh, depression, Zoloff. And it was like it's almost like that's kind of become our society. It's like oh, you have uh, you're you're out of shape, you're overweight. Here's a you know fat loss supplement or whatever not taking into account like what's what what's the impact of that in five years or 10 years or on your heart right um and it's really cool to see that coming full circle it's, it's so simplistic it's like let's just take a look at the actual whole body um and and it's you know that mentality 100 years ago was probably the or maybe not 100 i'm probably being generous 200 years ago was probably the mentality right no, it totally was. And I think we still see that, like even in the East, you know, if you go to a lot of Asian countries, they they view the body that way. Typically, um, they under, they have a strong, entrenched cultural understanding of certain things like digestion and you shouldn't eat certain foods or you should eat this food after because it's a good digestant. Um, you know, they have that in Italian culture. They're called digestivos so a lot of cultures around the world even today have a lot of that embedded knowledge of looking at the body and thinking about certain systems that are that affect other systems i think we've largely lost that here in the west with our sort of industrialization some of the consequences of um of our technologies and i think a lot of that wisdom is kind of hasn't really been passed down here in the west as much as some of the other parts of the world I heard a uh, a quote recently. Uh, it stuck with me because it reflects a lot of other things that I've been thinking about. But it was essentially, if knowledge is power, then knowing what you don't know is wisdom. And I think that, at least this has been my experience, it is harder for, like in the information age that we live in, it is harder to accept things that don't seem to have some hard scientific facts behind them. You know, like the, you, you hear things dismissed all the time as like an old wives tale. Right. Uh, and really some of this, when you talk about, uh, the Eastern approach to medicine, like there's, there's almost even a little bit of a racist tinge in the way that like my grandparents would talk about some of that mysticism, right? (laughs) It's like, there's just a dismissal of it all together. And there is something about the specialism versus the generalism, but I, I think it's interesting that the more we seem to know about the body from a medical perspective, the more we kind of lose some of our common sense. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that's been your experience in talking to people, but it seems to me some very basic stuff just doesn't get covered. No, that's absolutely true. And I think there are a lot of real reasons for that. Um, and I think it's good for anyone because everyone is a patient. Everyone will be a patient in some way. Um, as they go throughout their life, you know, whether it's an acute issue or a chronic issue or it's end of life, 
But at the end of the day, I think it's good to be aware of that the people that you're working with, whether it's a medical doctor, a nurse, um, um, a PA, um, that they have a certain view and a mindset that, that they're looking through to be able to help and assist you. And knowing what that mindset is can may not just really serve you in your in whatever journey you're in. And I'll give you an example. So I'll just pull from my own experience. So most of my childhood has been riddled with being frequently sick, having um, cold symptoms, being cold all the time, never being able to, to be warm. Um, a lot of those symptoms are chronic, are, are, are very typical thyroid symptoms. And so I would go to my doctor who I've known since I was 16 and, and I go to this to this day um, and say, hey, I think could, could we, you know, just because I barely knew anything, it was like I heard that, you know, your thyroid could be the reason for something like this. And she would check it every year and she would say, uh, no, your thyroid levels are fine. And so and that's where the conversation ended. And so I think that's a really good illustration of a lot of things that people experience is like, if, if it's not on a blood test or if it's not um, in some tool that they have that they were trained in, they won't look anywhere else. They won't, they'll only look to the paradigm at which they're trained and they're not going to necessarily look, any, look past that. The other thing that is, is that we live in this sort of insurance system here in the US and, and the incentive for a lot of those practitioners is that they really don't have the time for you to spend with you to really go into what's going on with you, even in your yearly physical, which where you should be spending probably a little bit more time about what's changed in the last year. And so oftentimes the average time that you spend with a, a doctor in that setting is five to 10 minutes. So they really don't have, the, the tool in the tool belt for them are pharmaceuticals and, and labs. And there's really not a whole lot in between that they have time, energy or training to really look at. And I think, um, I've become really passionate about being your own advocate for your health because you just need to be aware that when you're going into a situation where we really need something addressed, that that person may not just be have the training or mindset to really be able to help you in that setting. Um, that's especially true with big diseases and big chronic issues. The, the, that paradigm doesn't really work super well in that setting. Yeah, I've I noticed that I've got kind of two stories along those lines. And one was just my general health. Like before I was diagnosed with leukemia, so this is probably about five years ago, I was snoring all the time. Mm -hmm. And I was personally worried about sleep apnea. And I had a father-in-law and I was like, well, he started using this mask thing. He slept great. I wanted the benefits of good sleep. I didn't want to do the work to like fix the sleep apnea on my own. So I was talking to the doctor about this, like, when should I start looking into one of these masks? I'm 30 years old thinking about the Darth Vader thing. <laughs> and yeah. uh, he's, he's like, you know, why don't we start like doing some walking first? And this doctor was a heavy set guy. He's like, I've got high blood pressure. I've been taking beta blockers for years. I don't want to start you down the path I've been on. And it was so weird to like have my doctor like not take his own medicine. I was like, and so it already got me thinking, like, you know, I appreciated that he was trying to give me good self-help advice, but also, like, how much do I respect this guy's opinion? Yeah. So then jumped me forward a few years, and uh, I'm in the ICU, I'm getting consulted by an oncologist, and all the time, all the while I'm going through this 
chemotherapy, I, I mean, like pizza, fried chicken, like the hospital kitchen was just awful. And when I'm getting ready to get discharged, I'm, I asked my oncologist, like, so what really can I do like for my own personal health? And this woman who had a a whole vocabulary I couldn't touch and had like this deep knowledge of the way the human body worked at a cellular level and the way it destroyed itself. It was like, uh, you know, just the food groups try to balance, you know, the food pyramid. It's like, I could see her scrambling and be like, and she's like, but I'm really not an expert at that stuff. You know, I was just like, wow, this is, and I don't know. I'd never really tried to consult a medical professional for that stuff before, but it was, it was jarring to me that being super smart in this area didn't translate to useful information in another area. Right. And, and I would even say I, that doesn't surprise me at all. I've definitely had that experience as well. And I would want to ask, did anyone give you um, <clears throat> a set of options to say, what other things could you do besides chemotherapy? Did, you ha- did anyone have that conversation with you um, no. of therapies or, you know, evidence-based therapies? Not like, I'm not saying like, you know, things that are um, a little pseudoscience or, you know, that don't really have any, any studies that are backing that, but they're, you know, there's, there are studies out there that say that timing or fasting during receiving chemotherapy, um, has better outcomes, um, in general. So there, there are, there are connections and things out there that often aren't being made even in, you know, advanced oncology departments. And so, so I think it's just, it illustrates that there's a lack of connection between, there's, there's certain mindsets uh, that people have when they're going through training and there's lack of connection even with research, you know, without even having to do the woo-woo stuff um, and go down those roads. There's actually a lot of research out there that oftentimes takes 20 years to get into actual patient care. And so that I think we're in an age right now that it's really interesting, but also makes it really complicated for, for just the average person to know what do I need to trust what level of information do I really need to know? Um, if I'm going to try and have an intelligent conversation with my doctor, like what might that look like um, to advocate for myself if I'm really feeling like something's going on and that doctor isn't believing me or they're not willing to to take an action that I'm asking them to do. So I think we're it kind of puts a really difficult climate here in the US that we have where we have access to PubMed and read studies, but then we have to make a lot of those connections on our own. And we don't really know how to do that super well. Yeah, the closest I got to some uh, alternative suggestions was um, an Uber driver who thought megadosing CBD would be pretty helpful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he, he didn't tell you that he owns a CBD business either, did he? It was a she. <laughs> oh, she. How dare I? I'm sorry. Yeah, you know, Hannah, it's funny because so I, I've actually changed doctors for almost that exact reason is I don't know. Maybe it's the Hawaiian part of me, but like I naturally just have, uh, high cholesterol hmm. I have, I have high, bad cholesterol and low, good cholesterol. And I work out, I eat mostly healthy. I mean, I don't, I don't generally, I have my pitfalls, but for the most part, 75% of the time is pretty good. And I, I get my, 
I had never really done a physical besides the one that you have to do for like sports where there's no blood work done. And it was my first time getting blood work like probably seven years ago. It comes back and I'm like, I'm like in a little bit of a panic. I'm like, what the, I call him. I'm like, what the hell should I do? You know, I feel like this is like, this is a, a death sentence. And they, they sent me a pamphlet that was like a fish based diet, 1100 calories a day. I'm like, guys, like I'm 180 pounds. Uh, I work out regularly. 1100 calories will kill me. I will die. Uh, and I was like, I need the doctor. I need the doctor to call me. I don't want, you know, no, nothing wrong with his you know, nurse practitioner, but I need him to call me and tell me what he thinks. And he never did. <laughs> so I was like, all right, I'm never, I'm never going back to you guys. And it was sort of, um, I don't know when I walked into this, to this new doctor that I have the very first visit, he's like, he's like, I'm not going to medicate anybody unless I absolutely have to. He's like, I'm going to look at like what we can do besides that prior to suggesting any kind of medication. And he started making jokes about people come in and they're, you know, they're, they're overweight and they don't, and they want a medicine. And he's like, we're not going to do the medicine. We're going to exercise. That's what we're going to do first. Then you come back in six months and we'll see if the medicine is necessary. Unless of course it's life threatening, right? Unless of course they have a blockage in their heart or something. But, um, I I've seen you and, and you, even when we would talk about this stuff, you know, back in, in the VPAM world, Anytime I go to the doctor, I actually take a list of questions now because <laughs> I know I'm going to forget. I yeah. know I'm going to get overwhelmed. I think you recommended it. You were like, take questions that you want answered because, yeah, I was going in and they'd be like, no, it's probably just this. And I'm like, yeah, but I feel like it It might be worse than that. And they're like, no, it's not. And I'm like, OK, here's my $150. I'll go take the medicine. So anyway, that's a thank you uh, and also an acknowledgement that it that it forced a change for me that maybe I would have stuck with a little bit longer than usual. No, that's so good to hear, Tommy. I think at the end of the day, it's like, you know your body best because you're living in it all day long. And so there's a certain amount of intuition that I think that everyone should trust on some level. And if you're not getting the care, I'm, I'm, that's incredible that you were able to say, this isn't a good fit for me because this is the type of response or attitude that they had you know, when I came to them with a legitimate concern um, that you're willing to just change doctors. So I think that's a great call out for anyone listening to that is, Look for someone that has that mentality, that's willing to listen to you, that's willing to take a more uh, an approach that's not always just let me give you a medication um, to kind of band-aid this temporarily. Um, and that's mm -hmm. a great way to kind of think about what type of care team that you're going to have around you in various forms is, that have those attributes. I have a bit of a litmus test that I do when I go to meet a new doctor now. It doesn't matter what the doctor, if, if you know, the surgeon that had to work on my shoulder, my general, general doctor and, and nurse practitioner that might be just like a, a telehealth call is I always make sure to work in that I have high cholesterol and I do CrossFit and their response to whatever I say there, if they're like, hmm, don't do any presses is I'm like, okay, you, we're not going to jive here. We're not going to jive here. <laughs> like we're just, not, we're not going to work. So, so it's like two pieces of bait and which one does he take? Yeah, I'm just seeing which one they like if if they latch on because usually you know if 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 someone because the woman the, the nurse that called after my uh, blood work was like, yeah, you you have the cholesterol of like a 50 year old overweight smoker, but I saw you, I did the blood test and it doesn't match up, mm. and so I've just chalked it up to genetics. But I really I, I'm going to do more digging into it because it's not it just hovers around the same same level. I could eat fish every day. I could. 
I've never gone vegetarian, but anyway. I have some ideas. Not worth it. Tommy, on that one. <laughs> Chick, you said chickpeas? No, I have some she ideas. She said she has some ideas. Yeah. Oh, okay. That. Yep. To, um, some things as, to check as we As we say in the, in the biz, we'll take that offline. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do yeah. that. Try chickpeas, so, man. Get on the all chickpea yeah, diet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Hannah, you know, what's what's interesting, because I know this was something that you sort of dove in. So I know you mentioned, you know, you've dealt with sort of a chronic kind of a chronic illness kind of condition your whole life. And I remember you would have that like um, denim corn bag <laughs> that, I, <laughs> yeah. that, I, that I was like, that's the cool you put in the microwave. But is that what sort of led you to be like, I'm interested in this stuff. I don't care if I never have a single client as a functional nutritionist. I want to do this for me. Or what, I guess, what led you down that path? Because it was quite a hefty time investment for you. Yeah, that I mean, you pretty much identified it. I, I really needed to know the answers for myself. So I, I've been struggling with a chronic illness since for about, since 2007. Um, wow. When I look back on my life before that, the more, the healthier I get now, the more I realize how actually unwell I was before that too. So it's, it's really kind of interesting can be like, Oh, actually I'm, I think I'm obtaining some, some measurement of health that I've never really had. But yeah, the, um, the, the symptoms of a chron- of chronic illness really came on, especially in 2007. So, um, I think it was just trying to piece the puzzle pieces together. I didn't have a framework, a context to understand what was happening. Um, I didn't have practitioners in my life um, that could give me answers. Um, and then a lot of that time, I actually didn't have insurance. So I really didn't have mm. the money to actually figure out um, what I needed, you know? And I think that's where a lot of people yo-yo in this world of that get some sort of diagnosis of a chronic illness or or, ne- or don't get a diagnosis for a really long time. Like the average person to get a diagnosis, and this is a broad category of chronic illness, is like something crazy like eight to 10 years, because I think they kind of ping pong through the system for various reasons, some related to insurance, some related because um, people just don't have the paradigm or the capacity to try and look underneath the hood and say, why don't I drill down in this? Why don't I like explore a little bit? Maybe I'll do a lab I don't typically do. Those are, that's just some of the thinking that an average practitioner isn't going to have. So you really have to find those people um, and sometimes it's just word of mouth um, to, to figure out who those people are that, that's willing to engage with you in that way. So definitely it was answers for myself, wanting to understand why most of my 20s and 30s were completely absorbed with being sick rather than enjoying my 20s and 30s the way that I really wanted to, which is supposed to be the prime of my life. And I should be making all these other strides in other areas where actually my life came to a complete halt and I had just to focus mm. on getting better. Wow. Yeah, there's two things I think are really interesting there. The first one that you're finding degrees of health now that you didn't even realize existed. I was watching, uh, somewhat shameful, I was watching a Woody Allen movie the other night. Uh, Hannah and her sisters. I've never seen it. I separated the art from the artist and I dove in. And uh, Woody Allen's character... He thinks he has a brain tumor. He's been diagnosed with some symptoms. And he's he's just distraught. He's racked with nerves. And he's talking to one of his coworkers and saying, 
Ah, I just remember this morning the world was filled with light and I was so happy. She's like, no, you're not. You were miserable this morning. You were were complaining about that rotten bagel. He's like, no, I was happy. I just didn't know it yet. Right. Or I just didn't know it. And I... When I try to explain people what it was like for me to find my own personal health, like after, because I lived most of my 20s, like, you know, body was a playground. You're pretty rambunctious. Let's let's just, you're pretty rambunctious. (laughs) So I wasn't taking great care of myself. And now, like the, with my body is the filter through which I experience life. The way that life feels, it's like, oh, I was miserable then. I just didn't know it. And so it was like the inverse of that experience. And then the other thing that I thought is interesting is in searching for answers for yourself. Like this is something, I do a lot of writing, and this is something a lot of writers say is you write what you need to read. So it's like whatever you're processing and sorting through tends to make it to the page. And I think it's the same way with like uh, musicians writing songs or painters composing. And I don't think we give enough credit to some of the fields that we would consider more STEM oriented. It's just another way of working through your own issues. And once you get there, being able to express it to others and share that with others kind of makes the joy of what you found amplified and more real. And so I think it's just a cool, it's a cool journey to track. So have you, a lot of your focus, Hannah, is like, you, what, I guess this, we, should, we should change the name of the pod to um, your intakes to d- determine your, uh, your output. Yeah. <laughs> um, fixing our inputs. Fixing our inputs, yeah, yeah. But it seems in, in sort of your more holistic approach, and this is just what I gather you know, from, well, I've watched Kelsey eat, and I know that he, he kind of follows more closely. And I haven't watched him eat. I've eaten lunch with him and seen what he's eaten. <laughs> no, I, I actually didn't eat anything, and he didn't even know I was there. I just watched him. But, you know, a, a lot of it is what you're taking in, like what you're ingesting, or maybe maybe it's, I don't know, smells or, you know, all the other. So maybe you could, maybe you could tell us a little bit about that. I mean, how vastly has your food, have your food choices changed in five or ten years? And... You know, obviously there's, I'm not a vegetarian. I like red meat and I like chicken, but I'm becoming more and more aware that not all of those types of things are even created equal with factory farming and so forth. So I don't know that that, this is your field of expertise. I mean, help help me understand. Like I just learned about omega sixes like a week ago. It's like, oh boy, I still don't know. And, you know, the fact that they, they pump, uh, you know, these, these cows and pigs with B12 because they're not getting it from the farms when they would eat the grass and so on and so forth. And, you know, your, our parents will say, well, we could eat meat in our day and we could eat whatever we wanted. And it's like, yeah, but you bought it from like a family farm. Yeah. Like you you could eat whatever you wanted because it wasn't come, being shipped over from, you know, California on a truck. So anyway... I'm interested to hear what you have to say about kind of like what you're taking in, how that changes, how you decide what what things might be a trigger that for a lot of people that they don't know and that, that kind of stuff. 
Yeah, I think it's a good question because I think there's so much confusion confusion in this area. You have um, like food right now in the U.S. especially is like team sports. You know, like you're you're ride and die in some particular diet um, lifestyle. It's like become your identity. You're ready to like sling mud on the other side. You know, and it's just mm. really, frankly, for people that are truly trying to understand what's good, what's bad, um, they end up getting on the bandwagon um, or maybe the next subscription box or whatever. And I just, I just think there's a ton of confusion. People are thro you know, throwing, well, this study says this and that study s says that. And I, I have to say that I was also extremely confused, which is another reason why I wanted to, to learn more and feel like there has to be a foundation, a guide, some guiders that fits for all humanity. And so, and I, and, and I think, and I think that there are, so no matter what, um, your there there is differences. Our genetics matter. Where we come from in the world does matter. Um, all of those things actually do play into um, how our body uses, you know, the nutrients that we're taking in. But without getting into all that complication, I think what it really comes down to is some of the simple stuff that people know all the time know about, like drink your water. Um, making sure, you know, drinking water when you wake up because you're dehydrated and you don't drink coffee first. You, hi you hydrate before you caffeinate. That's like, but that's a very simple pillar. But when people are chronically um, dehydrated, things like their cartilage and their bone tissue begins to dry out. Um, and think about being chronically dehydrated your entire life um, for, for years and then decades, all of those things compound into things that you really don't want to experience. And if you can avoid when you get older, just because you're not drinking enough water. So that's a simple, when thing. I tell, when I tell people that I drink, like, as I said, take a sip of water, it's out of a 32 ounce Nalgene. When I tell people that I drink like four of these a day, they're like, they're like aghast. Oh my, how could you drink that much? You're going to flood your system. Like, I like, I don't know. I just drink it. I don't know. It's just there, and I drink it, and I feel better when I do. Yeah, my father-in-law asked me how much uh, water I drank on a daily basis. I was like, right now, probably, I don't know, two gallons. And he was, like, blown away by it. I was like, I actually feel like it's a little low. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, when I was running, uh, you know, when I was preparing for the marathon, like, I was making sure that I was at least getting an ounce per pound of body weight. And I don't know. I can probably get by at well, What's a good rule of thumb? But... What's a good rule of thumb, Hannah, half for the average human being? Half your body weight in ounces is a good rule of thumb. Boom. 128 now, is getting it done. If you, if you have caffeine, you need to up it a little bit more. So every cup of, you know, tea, anything that Just has average blend coffee, tea, yep, something like something that. Something that has caffeine that's a diuretic that means it's gonna dehydrate you. You're gonna need to have, you know, replace that in water as well. But every day and think it, it's a it's one of those things where we think like, oh, I didn't have a lot today. I had, you know, a lot. Maybe most people are probably not even keyed into the fact of how much water they're drinking. It's just not a habit. But you think of it like this is think of it like air. Like it's absolutely an essential nutrient that your body needs. We don't tend to think of water as a nutrient, but like within three days, if we, or what is it, three to five days, um, a human dies without water. So it is mm. extremely critical for your body to function and all of your systems, detox, it doesn't matter, just normal functioning, hormones, you have to be hydrated. 
I've had a weird question that has just come up in our house a lot lately because we're drinking a lot of LaCroix-like drinks. And sometimes it's actually LaCroix, sometimes it's Belle V, the Aldi brand. And yeah, we're, 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 a Kirkland, we're a Kirkland household. Nice. La, LaCroix, LaCroix gives me heartburn every gonna, time. It's going to plug. Our next guest will be talking about a personal budget, so he's going to love that Aldi business. Perfect. Uh, but... I have had maybe five different people over the last year ask me if LaCroix counts to the hydration number. And I always say yes, but I don't really know. Typically a sparkling water. Any theories? Yeah, typically a sparkling water is not going to be hydrating and often is more diuretic. It depends what's in it, but typically, (sighs) I mean, one of the things that's helpful if you get a a good quality sparkling water is that it's going to have trace minerals in it. Now, LaCroix probably doesn't have that, but like some of the Italian brands like San Pellegrino and um, what is it, Tucano? What's, what's the real popular hipster one? What's the real popular with a, with a yellow uh, label? Uh, Spindrift? To, Topo, Topo Chico. That's what you're thinking about. Topo Chico uh, is the one I'm thinking of. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So cool. I've never even heard of it. <laughs> yep. Sola has it. And I'm like, this place is cool because they have Topo Chico. That's fascinating. So even though it's just a, even though it's a water liquid, w- what about it makes it a diuretic? Do you know, or makes it not necessarily hydrating? I don't know. That's actually a good question. But in general, spark- yeah. sparkling, um, espe- especially synthetic ones, ones that are like cr- created carbonation rather than natural carbonation, because yeah. there is natural mm. carbonation that you get from the springs on those kind of fancier brands, um, tend to have a diuretic nature. Yeah. Interesting. So if you're That's pounding five of those a day, um, just keep in mind that, you know, that may not be really adding the input of hydration that you need. Well, I've accidentally kept it to one a day because I like to think of them as a treat, but. I do too. I totally do the same thing. I literally have that yeah. right here. I buy my sparkling grapefruit and it's just a, it's Spindrift. That's my, that's my brand lately is Spindrift. So. You know, to uh Spindrift, see, there you go, Tommy. I'm telling the Spindrift tastes better if you haven't had it. To all those out there, it's I've not it's had next, it. Oh, it's next level. Okay. Uh, no knocks on the naturally essence Lacroix, but to <laughs> yeah. to kind of steer yeah. back towards the the original question, I am going to use this analogy for like the third or fourth time. Uh, it'd be nice if I could get it in every other episode, but. When it comes to, like, just because I've gotten in a lot better personal physical conditions since leukemia, like, people can see a big difference in me over the last few years. And so they'll ask me nutritional questions. And I'm interested in it, though I don't nearly have uh, your breadth or depth of knowledge. But the number one thing I always tell them is that it's not really about the details when it comes to the diet. And the analogy I always use is people can start picking apart like an NBA, what makes an NBA player good. And usually they're comparing one NBA athlete to another. And so they're talking about the way they like move in the pick and roll or how strong they are with their left hand. And to somebody who played basketball growing up, it's like, that is not 
the number one reason those guys are in the league. The number one reason is because they're 6'10", and they are freakishly fast. And all the other stuff, like, I can shoot as good as some, well, that's probably not true. But, like, (laughs) at at one point, I played with some of those guys that made the NBA, and I was as good a shooter as they were at the same age. And that's not what separated us. And to me, it's like hydration and sleep. Yep. And keeping my calorie uh, intake near or below my daily needs. And that's like 98% of it for me. Is that, is that oversimplifying the approach? Yeah. I mean, I think those are really good pillars. Um, the only thing I would add is that whatever you're eating, that it's nutrient dense. So a good rule of thumb it, without having to say, well, this food is bad and, and this food is you know, good. Is that like, did the earth make it? Um, and is it in its deep, is it in its denatured form? So for example, corn technically is, you know, a plant, but are you eating corn in the form of um, like a, a denatured form that is so heavily processed that it's lost all- Like Corville Redenbacher. Like all nutritional value and, you know, with a bunch of additives and things that like actually are really bad for your fatty acids. So those are, if, if you're eating, focusing on density rather than, um, how many calories you were having and it. And I think it's different, Dustin, for you and Tommy, because you guys are tend to be more performance oriented and part of your audience may be that way. So they're, you're thinking like you're actually aiming in that way. I think there's a lot of people that aren't, they just want to be healthy overall. And, and, and if that's the case, I think focusing on the density or the nutrients that are, that they're taking in and foods that are, that are actually have that nutrient dense density is better for people rather than counting calories. I think counting yeah. calories for a lot of people, and I think it can be really problematic for women because we have to run into all these image things and we think that skinny means healthy and it absolutely does not. In fact, um, I would say that many times eating healthier foods uh, for some women means that gaining a little bit is actually healthier for them. And so those are some realities that we just really talk about because we're looking at like, well, a size zero is like is the ideal weight or that type of thing. So I think for depending upon who you're reaching, speaking to, um, those are great pillars and just focusing on nutrient density. I mean, typically, um, you know, having animal product, a little bit of animal products, whether that's in the form of butter or other forms is, is typically critical for, for certain metabolic processes. You know, there's a lot of, um, um, debate around that in certain camps, but have, making sure that you're getting, you know, good, healthy protein that's not coming from a farm factory that has hormones. You pick eggs that don't have, um, hor- you know, don't have antibiotics that were added to to that. So whatever you're doing, like, think about it is like, what's, what's its original form? And am I eating as close to its original form is a really good rule of thumb. I like that. Yeah. And, oh, go ahead, Tommy. No, I was going to say, it, it's amazing how quickly as a society we've gone to convenience over um i don't know what the what the comparative word would be but over like good convenience over quality i would say we're like oh well it's all like yeah well the public's brand is x dollars cheaper i don't know where it came from but it's a little bit cheaper and it's right here i'm gonna get that well that's a good question it is it really more expensive to eat like grass-fed whole foods 
Like, I just always, uh, I don't know. We talked about medical bills. We talk about considering the larger system. I haven't really done any deep dive on this, but I've, I've always said you can't overpay on your health. And that's just kind of a heuristic I've used on my own life to oversimplify the decisions I make so that I don't end up making a bad decision because I was raised Midwestern and fiscally conservative. I'm not going to say cheap. (laughs) And so I just always tell myself, you can't overspend on your health. You can't overspend. But is it actually big picture? Do we think it's more expensive? No, I think it just depends on when you want to spend it. Do you want to spend it, you know, by um, keeping your body in the way that it really wants to run, like in its optimal state? Or do you want to spend the money with medical bill, bills and things that you've developed through the years as a result of, of eating poorly? So I think, to me, that's how I look at it now. I think it's when you're making big changes or transitions to cut, to maybe just switch out small things, like... Um, instead of, you know, that my typical, you know, $3 chicken that I get, like I'm willing to go with an organic label, um, which is not a silver bullet, but it is probably going to get you a little closer, uh, to some of it's the, in the right direction, it's in the right? right direction. It doesn't mean that like every, it was done perfectly by any means, but it's definitely something better. I would say a better version. Um, yes, it's a, it's a different, you know, cost to your budget, but at the same time, if that by eat what you're eating, eating every single day and consuming over the the years, um, means that you don't you don't create pathology within your body because of long term use. Then you're saving the money, you know. So I think it just depends upon your perspective. You're going to pay for it one mm. way or the other. So the question is, do you pay for it on the front end or the back end? Well, yeah, and I'm I'm kind of a big believer on on all things. Like try to try to do it now. Like whatever that thing is, like front load your life, I guess is the best way to say it. And, you know, you'll, you know, fig- you'll figure out how to live better on the back end. Yeah, it's, it's funny because people ask me all the time too, like, you know, because I, you know, once someone finds out that I, that I was a CrossFit coach or something, they like drill like, oh, CrossFit Tommy. <laughs> but they're, but you know, they're, they're like, what can I, people would come to me at the office and be like, how can I, you know, how can I get in better shape? And the, you're right, Dusty and, and Hannah. It's like drink water, don't drink a bunch of booze, eat nutrient-dense real foods, and move your body a couple times a week. If, if you're overweight or if, if your internal organs are out of shape, right, high cholesterol, whatever, those, mod, those small changes will – pile 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 and become massive changes over the course of time Mm -hmm. i'm curious about the nutrient dense foods because i've so like all of last year i ate vegan before 6 p.m and it was an effort and i know you can have a crappy vegan diet but it was an effort to understand one understand what that actually meant and two to make sure that i was like building a, a little bit of a home menu of less, you know, every meal being like some chicken and carb combination. Yeah, it forced you to right? be creative, like make things yeah. like lentils and things like that, that I right. had never, I can tell you with 100% certainty that I didn't have a lentil until I was uh, 34 years old. So last Dude, year, <laughs> I've got <laughs> a lentil, fantastic. I've got a lentil chili recipe that is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, 
I I've tried really hard to to make sure that like I'm taking in a ton of veggies and that it's like a broad spectrum because while I haven't like drilled down to get like my exact percentages like how much zinc do I need am I am I getting the proper amount of magnesium you know it's just like I just try to broad spectrum all of it yeah but I I don't I do a ton of supplementation to try to cover everything. So like a multivitamin, uh, I'm taking fish oil to make sure I'm getting my omega-3s and balancing the uh, omega-6s particularly because I'm, I get, I, I could do better with grass fed. I just kind of like take the steak that's there. Right. Uh, but I guess, to simplify the question, do you think it's possible for somebody who is exercising pretty hard an hour a day, do you think it's possible to get all the nutrients needed without supplementation? And this kind of goes to your convenience point, Tommy. I have, I have made my life more convenient by doing supplementation instead of preparing great meals every meal. Yeah, it's it's a good, it's a fair question. I think that having a mentality where you're looking for food first, food being your medicine, right, um, is the best mentality. I think with there are a lot of things that have happened in our food industrial system in the last fifty to one hundred years that have really depleted the soil in the U.S. In fact. Um, if you were to look up in the UN, they believe in the Midwest, we only have about 60 more crops to go with until the soil is literally completely deploy, depleted. We've really come, our, our agricultural practice, practices in the US have really um, affect the question that you're asking right now, which is why can't I just do what seems intuitive, which is the earth gives me everything that I need. Um, the, the, the essential nutrients, vitamins and minerals that are in plants and that are in um, animals that we should just be able to consume and be fine. And I, um, and the truth is, is that our systems have largely altered that, especially in the U.S. I think, so I would say that supplementation, what the right supplementation, so I take a lot of supplements as well, but I'm always changing them based upon what, what my needs are. So it's not a straight, like mm -hmm. I'm doing, always doing the same thing all the time. And keep in mind, supplementation also costs something to your body. You have to break it down. You have to be able to mobilize what's being received. You need to digest it properly. So it's not that it's like a net neutral um, process when you're taking supplements. So I would say that maybe mm -hmm. in other parts of the world where that we're not having that situation, Italy and other places that have not completely killed their... Um, their soil, their environment that's able to provide for them. But I think in the U.S. that's largely going to be a necessary component for a lot of us. I'm curious about, uh, I guess you've, you've kind of hinted a couple times, but based upon some of your comments, do you avoid a lot of animal products? No, I eat a, a lot of um, animal no. protein. Yep. So okay. I think um, when it comes well, I to... Guess Go ahead. Oh, well, the reason I'm asking is because I do feel like I'm in a position where I, I could do a lot better job of shopping to put less of a, you know, fixing our inputs, right, Tommy? Uh, there we go. 
I could fix like the way food comes into my home to do a little bit better job of helping the way America consumes food, right? Like just doing my part. I was wondering if you had any tips for like where to shop or what, what you do to kind of ease the conscience on that. Yeah, absolutely. I think in general, some good rules of thumb is that eating local for your foods. So, you know, a lot of us here, like in the U.S., have largely seen, you know, local butchers um, disappear. There are still a few. I think there's one in Raleigh. Um, there's one in, I think there's one in Durham. But going to local butchers is oftentimes they're sourcing from local farms that, that aren't having that um, farm factory model that aren't feeding them you know, grains, basically foods that cows were never basically created to eat. Um, so local is a great way to solve a lot of it without having to have a lot of knowledge or you have to do a lot of research. Just starting in your local farmer's market is a great place to source some of those foods because the farmers are doing that for you. And you can always ask them mm -hmm. questions. You can always say, hey, like, do you feed them? Do you put antibiotics in your in your feed with the cows? And so you can ask those questions to have that exchange. If you're going to the grocery store, a grocery store is looking for those labels like grass-fed, grass-finished, um, organic, um, not having hormones. Those are all good rules of thumb if you're going to go to a, a chain store. And then there's some places where if you actually have, have a farm down the road where, they, where you can do this, um, where you can actually buy like um, straight from the farm, where you can buy like half a cow um, and, you know, that will probably last you for like half of the year. So those are things that you can yeah, do. We did that as kids. Do. There was a local farm that we'd buy. Like I, I was there from the, this is going to be morbid from the slaughter nice. to the chopping it up. And they were packaging it in like, it was just, you know, it was like 30, like 31 degrees. They're just packaging it in the open. And then we buy like half a cow and put it in the freezer. And we always had, we always had some form of, of meat in the freezer. Did the slaughter stick with you? Cause I don't think that's morbid. I, I think knowing what your food cost is kind of important. Yeah, you know, it, it didn't, it, it's not like a very, yeah. it's just kind of like it happened. And then we, I'm not like, uh, I go to bed at night and thinking, so Hannah, something I want to, I, I want to turn this conversation a little bit because Dusty and I could just fire off and try to get free diet advice all day long. Cause <laughs> you know, we, we're, we're similar well. <laughs> in that. Well, you're, you're right, Hannah. We, we both are, so, you know, being in like a fitness community, I've seen the diet fads. Yeah. It was paleo, which in theory was not terrible, um, not a bad concept, mm -hmm. um, but it's such a heavy emphasis on fat, red meat and so forth. Not as heavy emphasis on vegetables. Then there was, if it fits your macros, right? The macro diet where for me, from a performance standpoint, a body appearance standpoint, that was phenomenal. Um, and it also helps me to, to keep my, uh, sweet tooth in check, but it also found myself eating towards the sweet tooth. Like I would eat amount through the day to get that reward at the end. Now we're on to ketosis and the keto diet, which is kind of like paleo reimagined. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's like Atkins reimagined. Yeah. And, um, so anyway, I think one of the things that's unique about your take on, uh, on our, our, what we're ingesting, what we're drinking, what we're eating. And I could be way off base here. So if I am, we'll just edit this out. So I don't sound like an idiot, but y you have a connection to it almost like spiritually, like 
how your body's connected with the earth and what you're taking in is affecting your mood and affecting your your spirit. And and maybe I don't know. Am I am I anywhere near like am I am I am I on the green in regulation here because I've seen you post some things about it and I'd like to get your take real time on it. Yeah, it's a good question and the fact that you're reading that book The Body Keeps Score makes me think that you're probably hearing some really interesting stuff in that book because it's um yeah. kind of a revolutionary book in a way. Um so I, I wouldn't say like so asking that question I recognize that some people are going to might hear that and go that sounds very like touchy feely, hippie, you know, be like, "Ooh, let, let me just go out to mother yeah. earth" and that sort of thing and and that's completely fine. I don't tend to be that way, but I will say that like nat- naturally. But I will say that when I got sick um, and my my health crashed and it was pretty dramatic when it did, the first person that was there to be along my journey um, was um, an herbalist um, named Will Endries. And he was a wild man from West Virginia that lived in the woods most of his life, um, taught local Indian tribes or ethnic tribes Um, about their own culture of herbal medicine. And he was the first one to actually help me and begin to shift my mindset to look at things, look at nature as as a provision rather than um, the landscape. For example, dandelion that grows all around here, the flowers on the side of the road is an incredible liver tonic. Um, So those are the types of things that I began to realize that were actually all around me that we mow down in our yards and and really is a form of provision. And so that was sort of my light bulb moment for me to to come into an area where I really would have never entertained some of these ideas otherwise. But at the end of the day, I came to that door where my doctors didn't have any answers. And the person that was there to be sort of the healer of sorts um, was a, a non-traditional person that I was willing to listen to. And I, so I think that, you know, if you were to connect that to sort of spirituality, I think that um, pain and suffering has a way to open doors to, to things that, um, to, be, to listen to people, to uh, be willing to entertain new ideas, or just to try things and say, you know what, I, I don't think I need to know all of this stuff, um, but I'll just, I'll, I'll judge it based upon me, the, of what it does for me. And I can say the proof is in the pudding or it's not. And I think that those are all really good things for us to tap into as humans, like in this so- supposed scientific world we live in, we actually need to actually tap into some of the old wisdom that we used to have as human beings, which is I tasted this and it wasn't good. And I think we should have that appetite in other areas of our life. That's interesting. I like the, cause I have some people in my life who, have and have had some tortured relationships with food Hmm. and it's been my intuition and you know i haven't done any studying to back this up but it's been my intuition that when something is especially difficult in your life like you know I, i hate to quote the title of this book all the time but i do it all the time the obstacle is the way It's a Ryan Holiday book, like the way out is through. And I, the people in my life have kind of gotten away, like the, the topic of food fills them with dread and misery instead of like a sense of joy and wonder. Mm -hmm. 
And like, if you could restoke the curiosity about your relationship to the thing that sustains you, then I don't know, you could start to rebuild whatever's going on in your heart that makes that such a, it's one of the things you have to do, right? It's not even like, like traditional addiction where we think about drugs and alcohol, where it's like, you can just not have a relationship with those things. Not an option with food. And that's just been a really hard thing for the people I've known in my life to like, I don't know, like re-spark that. Because I've I've never really had to do the deep work on it myself. No, I think that's a good point. I think when... Well, one, I think everyone has their own addictions. Just some of them are attractive and then some of them are less attractive to our society. So we tend to call out certain ones and then others, we just be like, oh, you're just ambitious or, oh, you're Mm. just, you know, you just really like this hobby and we don't call it what it is. And so food is often one that, which makes sense. um, People tend to have a, can have a very warped relationship with, um, because it can be a sense of comfort for people. It could be a coping mechanism from a super um, difficult childhood. And that was their coping mechanism. So when they deal with food, they deal with trauma. And so there's so many things that can be embedded into things like food or things like appearance um, and fitness. So overworking out. Um, And that I will say that I think there's some threads of that for me. I was a competitive gymnast. So I, I know you guys are strong, but I was stronger than you when I was a gymnast. I can tell you that. So like, that was my, I would agree. That was, that is what I did from age four to 16. I was really good at it. It's one of the best gymnasts in the U S. And so I went into my adulthood feeling pretty invincible physically and, um, felt like I knew how to work out. I knew how to take care of myself, at least from an exercise point of view. And then my health completely crashed at 26. And so I think what I've had to learn through all of that is that health is not necessarily just a matter of if I do this, then I can be healthy, I can be strong, I can lose weight and all of those things. Because if you're not dealing with the other stuff in your life that actually could be contributing to your health, um, it makes it, those things make you deal with it. So your life will stop to the point where until you deal with it. And that's what I personally experienced. And I think a lot of people are experiencing more of those types of moments, whether Dusty, you having leukemia at such a young age. So I'm guessing they probably were like, check your genetics. That's super, you know, um, interesting to have that diagnosis at that time in your life. And then it's like, well, what does that mean Mm -hmm. for your kids? Because that's what happened to, to, to my husband where there was a discovery, there was a genetic component to him getting certain types of cancers. So all these things that we think as we go into adulthood, like I don't need to deal with that until like I get old or 50s and 60s and 70s. It's us that are dealing with it right now. My wife and I talk about that nonstop. And it's just a one of the many ways that like cancer was actually like a lucky break for us. It's like it could have gone badly, but ultimately it didn't, and it opened our eyes to all these good things. But, like, I now have, like, I find myself constantly talking about, like, how am I going to play with my grandkids? And it's the reason, like, I spend time on, like, 
flexibility, even though I'm not really that interested in being flexible. But but it's just like, I got to keep myself pliable. I'm trying to avoid injury, you know, like I'm, it's, uh, I don't know. I'm, I do have this belief that, and this might not be true, but I think it is that the version of me at 70 years old will be more capable of gratitude and enjoying life. And like the same way that I can watch a movie now that I watched when I was 20 and feel an entire spectrum of emotion that just I couldn't access when I was 20 years old. I really believe that's going to be true about myself when I'm 70. And so like I'm trying to do all these things now for that future version of myself. And I guess to people who have listened to all the episodes, they can probably hear a difference in like me trying to like intellectually sort questions to past guests. And I just want to like fire bullets at you because I've been, I've been trying to think about how to treat myself better because I do feel like it's giving future me a gift. And I didn't realize that until like I had something crazy happen at a, a younger age. No, I think that's a good point. And I, I, my, chronic illness journey has definitely brought me to the place where um, I see myself building for the future. Like in some ways I had to grieve the fact that I lost out on something that I felt like I should have had. I should have had been able to be more resilient and I could take care of these at um, take advantage of certain opportunities, but I couldn't because I was so sick because I could barely hold down a job. And I spent most of the time in the evenings and the weekends in bed, just recovering. And, and that really sucked. It just, it did. But at the same time, um, what I'm achieving or, or what, what's coming into my life, I don't want to say achieving, um, is, <laughs> is to have an amazing decade of my 40s, an amazing decade of my 50s. What I do today is the foundation. As, as long as it is up to me, right? Because there's a lot of things that are not up to me. But as long as it's up to mm-hmm. me, I'm not going to, I'm going to stave off the diseases of aging. I'm going to go through menopause i'll just say that word um because we never talk about it as women we're gonna go through that well uh, and not me be, and are uncomfortable not gonna be a crazy <laughs> person but hopefully you have some women <laughs> listeners not be a crazy person yeah. like in my 40s you know that you saw your mom go through you see these generations and you're like people make comp think I, I don't know about you guys but i look at the adults and i look at my parents and i look at other people and the things that I dreaded about aging was because the examples I saw and I, what Dusty mm. and what I'm hearing from you is that you're making choices that are going to reap benefits in those ages. And you're not going to be like every every person, whether it's in your mindset, in your body, um, as long as it's up to you. And that's really what I'm, I'm striving for too. Yeah. My, my dad had a heart attack when he was 49 and he had, wow. he had, diagnosed with diabetes somewhere late 30s maybe mm-hmm. like and he's done a great job of getting a rain on that but like it was just tough to watch cuz uh you know when he was younger he was like this this giant guy everybody knew him as like a great athlete through college and uh, yeah i i don't think it was like my dad's a tough guy to get an emotional read on, but <laughs> but like I just worried about that. Like I wanted to, 
I don't even, I guess I'm, I'm working through some things with that right now, but I don't want to feel like my life is dwindling when I'm yeah. in my fifties. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's a definitely a different tone for our generation um, that we are like, as you said, dwindling, I thought of the word accelerating, like we're accelerating mm-hmm. into our older age. Yeah. Like we're, we're trying to take the mental, you know, the, the mental capacity and the knowledge that we're gaining and certainly we'll be wiser in our 40s and 50s and 60s, but we want to have the body and the internal organs to go with that. Uh, that's. <laughs> That's one of the reasons I'm doing so much damn therapy is I want mm-hmm. that to come along with the body too. Yeah. Um, because, you know, th- there, there's a lot of things that, you know, I mean, Dusty, you're, I mean, you're, you're big with therapy as well. Hannah, I, I don't know if, if you're, but it's like being able to de- finally detach myself from things that happened 15, 20, 30 years ago and say, now the brain can go to the next, you know, evolve to the next level is, uh, is huge. And, and that, that makes me think because when I'm eating, like if, if I go on a binge where I'm eating like crap and sometimes it's just lack of time. Sometimes it's, a, it's usually around the holidays cause there's a lot of sweets in the house, but I can feel my mood like and my emotions like change. Like I can feel myself. Some of it I'm like, well, I'm just looking at my, you know, maybe my gut's getting a little bit bigger and I'm like, you just, but is the, I know there's a connection, obviously, to like your immunity and yeah. and your your food. Is there any connection to like your mental health and what you eat? Because that seems like there's. I know correlation doesn't mean causation, but is, is there? Like, is it there any? Feels like there is, right? It does. Yeah. There is. Well, some of your neurotransmitters are actually um, manufactured in your gut. So that's why like gut health, you've been hearing a lot around gut health a lot in the last five years, it was kind of uh, like almost non-existent is why it's so key. So your, your, most of your immune system is in your guts, your pyre patches in your gut. Um, it's 60 to 7% of immune function is right in your gut. So everything that you eat, um, drink is, um, is either helping that be its best or it's hampering it um, and suppressing your immune function. Um, the author, also true for the brain is that there are many neurotransmitters that are manufactured there. So if what you're eating how does affect how well you're manufacturing or if it has the cofactors, which is just a fancy way of nutrients that are needed to create. So like things like B12, as an example, is a really important nutrient for your brain health, but it's being manufactured in your gut. So all of that stuff. But what that means is that more than ever, where you're talking about your mood, your emotions, your brain health, um, you know, um, having, you know, brain fog or, or, or even other things like depression and, and, and mood um, instability. There's so much you can do and even affect just by eating well, just by talking about the things that we're talking about, which is just do the core things. You don't need to get fancy. You don't need to you know, become a nutritionist or anything like that. You, if you just focus on nutrient density and moving your body, you'll find a lot of those things begin to correct themselves because you're giving the body what it needs. You know, it seems so intuitive because when people say like when people, especially when they first get on like a new, like, like a health kick. And when I say health kick, I mean, they it, essentially they've made the decision to be, live healthier. When you get up, if, if you get up early and you have a good workout and then you eat, a substantial breakfast and you stave off the cup of coffee maybe until you've had plenty of water, plenty to eat and, and people just 
anecdotally say, what a productive day. Like I could run through a wall right now. You know what I mean? And, it, and there's, you know, I think th- those things, you know, what, what you're, e- you're, you're, what you're eating, are you moving your body? Are you drinking enough water? Did you get enough sleep? And we keep coming back to that, but it seems so basic. And it's something that like, you know, if, if I put myself in a time capsule and went back to like 19, well, the 1920s is probably a bad time. I don't want to go there because of the Great Depression. But if we go back 70, 100 years and th- there was a version of a podcast and they were listening to what we're saying right now, they'd be like, of course, like, what are you guys talking about? You, you move your body, you drink your water and you sleep. And it's like, we're the first society to, we're actually the first, like our parents and then us are the first generations with like uh, copious amounts of electricity to push ourselves past a natural bedtime. Yeah. Like things that stimulate. So like it used to be like, well, we're putting the fire out and we're and we're all going to bed. Like that's just what you did. So that's interesting. Yeah. I, I have said. I don't know. 50 times. I I don't know if it's true or not, but since I got in better shape, I swear I'm smarter. And not in that like I know more stuff, but the words I'm looking for come to mind. When I'm in a conversation and I have to wait till somebody finishes talking, I still remember what I was going to say, you know. Yeah. Hannah, have you ever kept like a food journal? I have here and there. I don't tend to be great at chronicling chronicling my my food um, over long yeah. periods of time, but if I need to do that for just to cue in, it's a good tool to when it when you think you know what you're eating, and once you start writing it down, you're like, oh, actually, I'm kind of eating a lot of processed food. Um, so whenever I work with clients, that's always the first thing that we do is they have to do a mandatory yeah. three day food journal. And just looking at that information alone really tells a lot about, hey, you don't eat breakfast. That seems like maybe that's a reason why you're having some blood, you know, blood sugar stability issues in the afternoon or looks like you had two cups of coffee before you had a cup of water. So you can it's very telling to do a food journal. Yeah, the reason I I had never heard aside from like, you know, weightlifters tracking their macros and stuff like that, um, macronutrients for anybody that's listening and it's just protein, fat, carbohydrates are the macronutrients. And then, you know, all the other stuff, vitamins, minerals, that's all micro. But I was listening to, um, uh, Dr. Sanjay Gupta. You guys, I mean, everyone knows who that is if they watched anything about pandemic coverage, but you know, he's a, uh, neurosurgeon, I think, right. He's an, I think he's a neurosurgeon and he, he was on the I believe it was the armchair expert. So Dak Shepard, that podcast. And he, he has a book out. I forget the name of the book. I'll, we'll put it in the show notes, Dusty. But he was talking about through all this time, you know, during the pandemic, this dude was working like, you know, 20 hours a day. I mean, he was like the CNN guy for pandemic coverage. But he said he was keeping a food journal and he's like, I discovered like I had power foods. Like there were certain foods that I could eat that 10 minutes after I ate them would just like super boost me and some would bring me down. But he's like, oddly enough, he just found that like 
pickles were, were like a superfood for him. And so if he had to do like some intense thinking, like when he was writing his book or, um, you know, preparing for a big lecture, he would eat a bunch of pickles and then go and sit and do that work. So it's, <laughs> I don't know. It, it was interesting to me because I'm always, I'm always thinking like, how can I, you know, you know, I think Kelsey turned me on to the, uh, um, alpha brain mm-hmm. or maybe that was you dusty, but we, we've all taken the alpha brain and I'm like, when I'm taking that I, and I go to, I go to work, I am like nails. Like I'm just on. And you know, to hear him say that about pickles was like, well, interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I do alpha GPC every day. I, yeah, I, I'm off the, uh, I'm off the alpha brain. I just go for the active ingredient. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, Fair enough. I think there's something to be said, you know, about, um, you know, when I hear that story, it makes me think of like people's bio individuality, like at any given time, like our bodies are dynamic. They're not stagnant. They're not a machine that says I need, you know, I need you know, detergent and I need like dryer sheets, you know, like a machine, you know, like that's not how our bodies are. They're actually dynamic that are adjusting in micro adjustments in infinite amount of ways all day long and we really whether you believe in evolution or not um we spent most of our our lives as humans living uh living not living in an industrial society in which we had options where we're eating thousands of different types of food throughout the year and so our bodies are really more hardwired to be a lot more adaptive um the typical american only eats like the same 20 foods and so there's when our our body is definitely can be very responsive to certain foods at certain times that suddenly make us feel like we're Superman. Um, and I think that's just keying into the reality of our how our bodies are really made, which is that they're dynamic. And so what's making me feel good today may not be what I'm gonna, is going to feel good tomorrow. And that's really hard for people because people are like, just give me the list of things I need to mm-hmm. eat and I'm going yeah. to think about it. So, Desi, what you're doing where you're just pushing yourself and being like, well, I got to figure out how to do this um, is actually a lot more closer to the way that we ought to be eating anyway and have been for many, for thousands of years at least. Yeah, I swear I'm money when I eat beets. <laughs> just just the right food for me. Well, but, you know what, what, what ties into that, I think, too, is like our um, – your genetics, which, which, I'm, which I mean to say like your – your family's like country of origin, mm-hmm. right? So like they were, they had acclimated over, you know, b- before like transient, you just could travel to wherever you wanted to, whenever you wanted to, you know, 500 years ago, you were born where you were born and you ate the foods of your ancestors. Like that's just what you did. You didn't, you know, you didn't get strawberries shipped in from Mexico cause they were ripe at that time. <laughs> like right. that was like, what is Mexico? You know what I mean? It's just, it's another place. So, you know, th- there's definitely some fine tuning that like, you know, I-, I for sure notice when I'm eating things that probably, you know, my, you know, I won't say necessarily even ancestors, but I guess my ancestors probably never ate. There's definitely a disagreement with my stomach for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway, just an observation. I had a question that I have to squeeze in here. What are your thoughts, Hannah, on intermittent fasting? I have been doing it for probably two solid years now. And I 
I'm of a mixed mindset because in a lot of ways it has been a skeleton key. It allows me to, at the very least, just not really worry that much about my calorie consumption. Like I'm missing a whole meal in there. Mm-hmm. And I, I make sure I eat before I exercise, but I keep that eight-hour feeding window. And I haven't really had any serious weight fluctuations. And I know weight's not necessarily the best indicator of health. But I just, I've felt great since I've done it. And that's why I've kept doing it, is I'm just like going with that feeling. But do you have any thoughts on that practice? Yeah, I think um, it's a great practice for a lot of people. Um, It all depends upon who the person is and what's going on in their life. So um, intermittent fasting for women, for example, tends to be more problematic. um, And there's biological reasons for that, why that can be. We're more finely tuned in general, like hormonally, we're like definitely a lot more complicated. So sometimes that um, that doesn't really work well for women. Um, in general, a lot of times men um, find a lot more benefit more uniformly. So I think it just depends upon the person. If you were chronically ill, Dusty, mm-hmm. like that probably wouldn't be a good thing, you know, to do is to, mm-hmm. in, to, to pepper in intermittent fasting. Um, I think if you are feeding yourself, fueling yourself, making sure, sure you're getting good sleep, and then you're feeling good when you're coming out of the fast um, and your body is giving you the thumbs up, then that's probably a good thing to continue. And when your body stops giving you the thumbs up, that's maybe a time for you to kind of take a break from that. But there's lots of good research about intermittent fasting. You know, it refre- it helps you, it encourages the body to be metabolically flexible. So if you're doing a lot of sugar burning, you're eating more carbohydrates and you're spending more time burning um, glucose, then it requires your body to switch over to more fat burning. And that's what you want is you want metabolic flexibility in general, that it, that's a, a good place to be in. So fasting will turn that on. There's also some research about um, autophagy, which is, um, this, the, is what cells do. And that's what you want, especially with a history like you have with cancer, is you want good cellular health where your cells are dying at the right time. Cancers are cells, mm-hmm. you know, basically like zombies, they don't die. And we, you want to encourage good cellular death. And there's some research out that shows that intermittent fasting helps encourage that a bit. So a lot to say about intermittent fasting, but I think it's highly individual based upon where they're at. The uh, cell death thing is kind of funny. I write my wife a letter every Valentine's Day. I've done it since before we were married. And uh, in 2017, the theme of the letter was apoptosis. And speaking to our relationship through the analogy of cellular death. <laughs> wow. And, and how, it's, how it's essential to growth. <laughs> Only you. Yeah. <laughs> so I say, you know, Dusty and I, speaking of bedtimes, we, we get, we turn into sleepy old men at about 945. Why don't we do this? We have a couple of like, cause I, I mean, I could talk about this forever and, and, uh, I love it. Yeah, I mean this kind of stuff is fascinating and and I love I love that things like functional nutrition, functional health, functional fitness is the norm. Um and and our sort of our generation is leading that. Yeah. Um cause I feel like the 80s and 90s were really weird. 
So they were anyway. Um, just rice oh, cakes, to, baby. All yeah, rice and, cakes. <laughs> and I also wanted to say when you start talking about the farms being over farmed and stuff like that, I just want to say thanks a lot, boomers. Yeah, I'm Golly. kidding. So you know when we, we rewrite the history books, it will not be kind to the boomers. <laughs> <laughs> they, they won't be the golden generation, I don't think. So, um. Hannah, we'll do, so we have a couple of just kind of like quick hit questions are intended to be, you know, you know, quick answers, just a quick thought. And then we kind of wrap up with our weekly segments where we pull into a um, kind of an introspective question called, um, we're not really strangers. And then we do a quick recommendation about something in our life could be, it could be like a show, it could be a product, it could just be a practice or a thought, whatever. Spoiler alert, mine has to do with how you eat. There we go. Tease. So the the, the first um, we've added this one recently because it's something we did a whole whole podcast on. But what is a a positive that you've seen sort of bubble up throughout this last year of a pandemic? The biggest positive that I've seen is an awareness of everyone's individual health matters to the bigger whole. That's a revelation, I think, corporately or as a, as a society we really didn't have, especially in the West. Um, and if nothing else, people are suddenly realized like what they do or don't do does affect everybody else. That's amazing. And if you remember from me in the office, if someone ever came in the office with like a cold, I would shun them until they left. And I'm glad that that's a practice that has been taken globally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean that only tongue. I mean that tongue in cheek, but I actually mean that because our society had valued uh, showing up over like physical health and the physical health of every single other person that you come into contact with. So, but I know your I know your meaning is deeper than that, and not just me spraying people with Lysol. But but, <laughs> no, I, but I right. also you're right. I, but I also agree with you. Well, that's kind of a. Uh... I was just reading a comic book last night that referenced this. Uh, and one of the characters is like steeped in Eastern tradition. So it's kind of a Buddhist thought, but like violence to others is violence to the world and violence to the world is violence to yourself. Mm-hmm. And it, it works in reverse too. So violence to yourself is violence to the world and violence to the world is violence to others. And just thinking more holistically like that is something we all, it's not very American, but it's absolutely not very American, <laughs> <laughs> but I like it. Yeah. Um, let's see here. The Dusty, concert. do you have one that you're, I love the concert one. Okay. You much of a music person, Hannah? Not, I was when I was younger, but not so much now. It's weird that I like this question because I'm just not a music person, but I guess like I like listening to whatever's recommended for the next week. Keeps my workouts okay. fresh. Go for it. We won't touch on the art. We won't touch on the artist one because I don't. I don't know if if there's nothing recent. I don't know. Well, maybe let's let's go in. We'll we'll just do. Uh, you, you can go to a concert. It can be any three artists or bands, living or dead. Who would they be and who would be the headliner for you? Uh, 
All right. Um, Lecrae. These are, yeah. Um, these are people I've wanted to see. Um, Dance Gap and Dance. Yes. Oh, love it. And I would love to see P.O.D. again as the headliner. Who was that? You broke up just a little bit. P.O.D. Yeah. Yes. I'm you familiar know, with all of these and I love it. <laughs> well, this is exactly why I love it. I only knew P.O.D. And so I think it's such like a low cost return for me. It's like, I'm going to get something good and it's always fresh because I'm so bad at music. Yeah. Dance, dance, Gavin dance will knock your socks off, but they are definitely very unique. I will say that, but I'll send you some gems that you can get started with. Great for working out. That's for sure. Excellent. I score very high on the openness scale. Bring it on. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Here is the, here is the, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll end it with this one. So we've talked about, um, so success, right? It's a, I'll, I'll just kind of read it from here. Cause it's easier. I like how dusty phrase it's hugely personal. What, what means, what it means to me is different to both of you. So one, how do you define success and what does one successful day look like to you? Um, I- Coming from a big performance mentality, which I had as a gymnast, where it was like a 10, right? That's what gymnastics is. It's like Mm -hmm. trying to attain a 10. Um, I have to push back that nature all the time. So where I am today is the pillars. Um, My time, like I have time reading in the morning. I have time in my faith doing reflection and reading and prayer. If I do that, everything else is successful. So that is my number one. That's awesome. That's awesome. Hey, there's something about the the reading and reflecting in the morning that I don't know. I probably need to just start getting up earlier because uh, once that once the two terrors are awake in our household, it is sprint. It is a sprint mode until they go to school. So, well, I think that's. Katie and I talk about this all the time. Like you wake up with this feeling of scarcity, right? One, are you rested enough? You probably don't feel like it because you're not waking up on your own terms. And then all you, you play catch up all day long. And before you know it, you never had any time to actually feel your feelings. I was, uh, and I won't, I won't linger too long on this, but it sparks something. I was talking to a buddy from college and we got on the topic of intentionality and I was telling him like, to me, the reason intentionality in all your actions, like structuring your relationships, like if you're going to get a cup of coffee with a friend, like kind of set a little bit of an agenda. It's like, Hey man, I really want to get together and talk about this. Like anything that like upgrades that time, because when you don't have intentional time with your thoughts and your attention, like, Thinking about things that happened in the past is something like regret. And thinking about things in the future is something like want or a lack. Hmm. And really, it's how much time can I move to the present bucket? So even things when I'm talking about like how when I'm 70, I'll appreciate life more than when I'm 35. 
part of that is because when you're 70, you're not looking forward anymore. You know, you're, you are living your days. And when I think about like doing things healthy for myself right now, I'm paying attention to doing the best I can right now, even though I'm like nascently aware of that future benefit. And it's like, how much of my attention can I move to the present bucket out of the past, away from the future? And ultimately, that kind of leads to a content life. And the moment you wake up and you're playing catch up, you already have regrets and you already feel a lack and you spend your whole day that way. And it's no way to be. That's a great point. I have spoken. (laughs) I like it. I like it. You spent a lot of time with that one. I can tell you spent a lot of time with that one. Uh, Why don't you? I, we don't talk that often. I wanted to like get it right. When <laughs> I was being intentional with that conversation. I like it, man. I like it. You want to hit us with the? Um, so, Hannah, in, in these next two, you're welcome to join. If the question pops up, like I said, there's been some times where I've answered and then I pull back and I'm like, yeah, I don't know if that's what I actually really mean. I want to change it to this, and I and I double on. So, we've had some misfires. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. So this is, uh, to the uninitiated, the We're Not Really Strangers card game. Um, Great for connecting with people over some vulnerability-inducing questions. This is a self-reflection edition, so feel free to play along at home. Question. What feels impossible today that would shock me to accomplish in a year? What feels impossible today that would shock me to accomplish in a year? And this really asks you to thread a needle, doesn't it? Where's, where, where's old quick draw cooksey? No, to, to quote, um, oh, geez, I can't even think of his name right now. I can't even quote him, but he said anything is possible. Uh, Kevin Garnett. Kevin Garnett. Kevin Garnett. Are you, Hannah, if you have something to share, you you can lead us off. Dusty, if you have something, I'm I'm sort of pondering on this one a little bit. Yeah, I can. Uh, I can take a swing at it, and uh, then I'm gonna go have to sprint to get a cord for my Mac because I just got the low battery sign. Um. I would say for me to pick up on something we talked about a couple podcasts ago, it would be to probably to finish this novel. Um, I thought I was super close at the end of last year. When he was born, the entire structure of my life has changed. Um, And it just feels like, man... I need more time. I need life to shift. I, you know, I don't have an agent on the book yet. Like there's just a lot of things that have to be done. And there's all the other things going on in my life that are picking up too. And yet I know it's not impossible. Uh, and I think that's really what this, this card is daring me to think is like, okay, you're sitting with this feeling. Is it really everything you think you're feeling? And if I, if I 
sit with it long enough. I just told Katie last night, it's like, I got to start writing again. Even if it's just like an hour a day tinkering through and the experience of working on it will get me there. I know that's true. I did it for the last couple of years. So uh, that's what I'm going with. I'll be right back. Carry on. All right. Hannah, did you have something to share? That's too deep. Oh, good. Me. Yeah, that's no, I, no, I totally. That takes me a day to think about, to be honest with you. No, th- there's, there's been a couple for me that uh, <laughs> I'm like, no, it's a therapy session, dude. I, I, yeah. That's that one's. But, you know, <laughs> as, as I think about it and on the and what, what leads me to therapy is I think so f- from my standpoint, I, I have used therapy has been very helpful. Um, in some ways I've also used it as a crutch, uh, in the, so in to like, it's almost like rather than do the work during the time that I'm not going to therapy, I will like a teapot. I'll just let it bubble, bubble, bubble. And then by the time I get there, it's steaming. And then I never make any progress. I just go there and rehash the same old issues. And so I think what what seems impossible today that I can accomplish in a year, I would say maybe I don't need, I don't need therapy as regularly. I don't, I don't feel the need to go. I'd like to be to a point where I'm, I'm innately doing the work that I talk about in between so that I'm not becoming the tea, you know, the tea kettle and, and feeling like I need to go back. So Hmm. that's my thing. Uh, I'd like to add an addendum too. I think, uh, Getting Anna Kendrick on this podcast is the right answer to that question. <laughs> yeah, so Hannah, I don't know if if you and uh, if you and Kelsey have any shows that you guys like to to binge watch, but um, Love Life on HBO Max. Dusty recommended it to me. I can't recommend it enough. Really? It's it was it was it it starts off like because you know Anna Kendrick can be a little bubbly. I mean, she was uh, Princess Poppy on Trolls. I mean, let's just be honest here. <laughs> But when this when that show started off, me and Annie were like, it's good. I like it. And then by like the second or third episode, it just we were like, give me more. Hmm. I want I, we, we couldn't stop. It was really very well done. So I would absolutely recommend it to anybody. All right. Wreck. Yep. Speaking of Rex. Let's close it out. Let's close it out with our weekly recommendations. So f- for me. Um, I, I'm going to go back to another podcast. Uh, Dak Shepard has been knocking them out for me with armchair experts. Um, and he had Aaron Meyer who is, uh, she's a, she studies cultures and how they interact. Um, and she wrote a book called the culture map. She recently wrote a book called, I was on, I was on Netflix culture. It was called no, uh, no rules, rules, which doesn't make a lot of sense unless you're like, no rules, <laughs> rules, like it's the way to go. But but the podcast, it did, a, so for me, I, I within the last six months, I took a job where I'm working with people from Japan, China, Germany, Italy, France, Arkansas, like, and it could happen, it could happen in one call, it could happen across a week, it, I could have back-to-back calls where I have to talk to someone from the UK, someone from France and then and you know I'm so have been so Americanized at least in my business views because I've only ever worked with people from America 
um, that I never took the time to perceive how my like my thoughts and my talking might be perceived maybe even as a little bit annoying or unproductive and speaking to other people of other from other backgrounds and understanding that like my manager she's from the Netherlands which is like one of the top most direct cultures in the world it's like right under Israel um <laughs> to realize that she wasn't coming at me personally, not even coming at me professionally. She was just saying, I want to do bop, bop, bop. Have you done bop, bop, bop? It's not like how we would see that from an, from an American based manager. We're like, have you done that? How could you not have done that? I asked you to do that. It was just a fact finding mission for her. And so listening to it, it was very entertaining because you start to see these like cultural norms that you, I then began to say, Oh yeah, that does make sense when I interact with this person, but it's also made me so aware in my interactions of how to, not that I have to change myself, but bend when I choose to speak up, how I choose to speak up in different calls to be the most productive from a business standpoint. So Aaron Meyer, uh, armchair expert podcast, and then probably my next book is going to be the culture map that she wrote. So that's my recommendation. Man, that's super interesting. And I'm glad you've been listening to so much Armchair Expert. I've dipped back in and have really been enjoying some of the hits. He's great. Uh, yeah, the, or him and... Um, Monica. Monica. Yes, Monica Padman. Yeah, they're great. Yeah. I already feel like I'm part of the family over there. <laughs> uh, so part of the reason I had to get in that intermittent fasting question is because my recommendation is intermittent fasting. Uh, and I wanted Hannah to give a more well-rounded perspective on it before I spoke to the reasons I would recommend it. And the reason I recommend it is, uh, first and foremost, it makes it super easy to keep your calorie count under control. So I think a lot of people, when they get into their eating, like that's where you start, right? It's the number one big picture goal. Mm -hmm. And then you start to understand a little bit about macros. And if you're down to two, maybe two meals and a snack a day, now those meals can become something that's closer to exactly what you want. And so now you can eat something that you want, supplement where you have gaps in your diet, and you don't really worry about the overall calorie number. Now, I think everything Hannah said is obviously much more educated than anything I'm going to recommend. But if you're somebody who's just looking for a way to get control of your intake, one, you don't have to think as much, right? It's like, oh, man, like if I'm battling this thing with food, well, now you're only battling it twice a day. You're only battling it for eight hours, not 16, right? Yeah. If you can lick this one principle, it super simplifies the rest of the task and the rest of the system. So uh, I do an eight-hour window. I start eating at noon. I stop eating at 8 p.m., uh, Work, do my workouts in the afternoon. It has been the great simplifier of my dietary life, and I – swear after two weeks you forget about breakfast maybe that's closer to three or four for some people 
but it's like you grit your teeth for two weeks and then life gets real easy. So that's the recommendation for me, intermittent fasting, two years of satisfied customer over here. And uh, that's all I got. Did uh, Yeah, so um, I just got a message. She Her internet went down. Uh, I was going to say it looked like we lost her. Yep. So, you know, we can, we'll, we'll, we'll say, Hannah, we really appreciate you coming on. Oh, You're very thanks, welcome. Tommy. It was the very this best the best. experience I ever had. <laughs> but no, I, you know, in all, in all genuine, I mean, I, I really appreciate her coming on. Um, and it, it's like, it's amazing how, how vast and well articulated her knowledge yeah. is around, around any question about dieting. I mean, it, you know, from the fad dieting to like the actual what's in the food. Very cool, and uh, I yeah, think you could like that. You could probably feel it in me, like as soon as she started talking, like you, you don't know what right when a guest first comes on, like what uh, how much does she know? It was like it became very clear very quick. It's like okay, she knows what she's talking about. I cannot yeah. wait to ask her yeah. all this stuff. Yeah, uh, so I yeah, I'm I'm thrilled. That was a super fun conversation. I could have kept talking for probably two more hours. Yep. And I was completely unaware of the high level gymnastic background. I could, I'm super curious about that. I so, know. Yep. Hannah, if you listen to your own podcast, thanks to you so much for coming on. Looks um, like she might be jumping back in. Let's see. <laughs> can really drag out the. Yes! She, she's back in. <laughs> We were just uh Hannah, we were just bragging about your uh your vast knowledge. Like no question was even stumbled. <laughs> it was like every topic very vast reaching and we were we were It just, really just nothing. shows how shallow we are, Tommy. <laughs> we're not, I know. We're not, it's like should we be we're, asking more questions about the gut biome? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um but yeah, we we really appreciate you coming on and really kind of opening up and sharing all that you know and all that you've kind of your journey and uh hopefully you enjoyed the conversation too because we really did. Yeah, it was awesome. Very awesome. She might have lost the internet again. I don't know. Hey, hey we made it though. We made it. We all said <laughs> thank you. Hannah, thanks a lot, Dusty. Hey, Catch the pleasure you on the, the pleasure's all mine. <laughs> Catch you on the flip side. Take it easy, man. Thank you.